All right, here we are at Affect Autism. This week we are discussing strategy from the book Floor Time Strategies to Promote Development in Children and Teens, a user's guide to the DIR model with psychologist Andrea Davis from California of the Greenhouse Therapy Center. We discussed this book in great detail a few weeks back, and today we are focusing specifically on strategy A10, self-reflect. Welcome, Dr. Davis. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here again with you. It's great to have you here. So today in the blog, we've gone through a bit about self-reflection in floor time and how usually the focus is on the child, but today we want to talk about how important and essential it is for the floor time provider, usually the parent or a therapist, to really use self-reflection as a tool in tailoring a floor time session. So this strategy is called Take a Reflective Stance Towards Yourself in Interactions. Would you like to tell us a little bit about the strategy in your own words? Absolutely. Well, I'm excited to talk about it because it's my favorite strategy in the whole book. And that's partly because it's often forgotten or overlooked in floor time that we focus very, very much on our own growth and development as adults facilitating our children, our teens, or our clients' development. Also, the other reason is I think it's extremely fundamental and core to what we do and why it's such a a beautiful method, the floor time method. Um, I have a third reason why I love this, and I think it's because it's, it's tailored and tied so closely to research in adult attachment theory. And that's one of the most exciting areas of growth in psychology and in uh, mental health and psychotherapy uh, and just general understanding of human beings that what we do as adults in processing and understanding ourselves and our history has so much impact on our children our ability to make a coherent sense, a coherent narrative out of our own past and experience that embraces all of, all of our experience without shutting any of it out, but without becoming embroiled in it either, is what helps us to be attuned to our children and their own emotional experiences and therefore help our, our children to become securely attached to us and, and highly emotionally capable of facing the challenges ahead of them. So that's why I'm excited about this part of DIR, if that makes sense. And it does make sense being that you are a psychologist by training, that you would like this part. And um, I did a master's in psychology myself, so it's also um, a favorite thing of mine, like looking into personal growth and and all of the different um, psychological research that promotes child development and it's definitely something that um, some parents have a harder time with than others because I think many parents can talk about how they were raised but to put the mirror on themselves and look at what's happening within them that may influence the interactions or relationship they have with their child is much harder because people get do get very defensive Mm-hmm. That's right, and that's why a whole uh, climate of safety and support 
and a growth-oriented and strength-based approach that DIR floor time is, is what helps slowly and surely and gradually adults, whether they're, they're staff, they're you know, teachers or therapists or, or their parents or grandparents, move into greater and greater comfort with the idea of their own um, self-understanding having a wonderful impact on their ability to interact in more and more highly attuned ways with, with the children they're working with. And what um, I want to say I'm excited about today is we talk about the general theory is that you're, you're willing to share your own process with us about this. And um, so that makes it very live and real and tangible and concrete for your listeners to see that you're willing to, to try it out and share how, how you are impacted by trying this particular strategy and showing how it works. Yes, we'll see how it goes. I'm very excited about it too. And I know one thing that you mentioned to me when we were discussing um, putting this blog together that I think is a very good point um, goes along with what you just said about um, the sense of safety and in the context of strengths-based learning and growth is, um, well, two things. One thing is that you said slowly over time Mm -hmm. and it is a or you use the word gradually gradual process it's Mm -hmm. not something that's going to happen overnight and when you try things out and get feedback about how it works then you can switch something for next time and then continue to switch things and over time you see change happen as opposed to more black and white thinking that I'm going to do this one thing and everything's going to change and and work so well. It is a gradual process. Well, that black and white thinking puts a terrible pressure on yourself in trying to help a child or a teen. And it's like, if I do it right, it'll all work great. If I do it wrong, it won't. I want to give you an example so that um, this gets a little bit clearer in your mind if, if um, if listeners haven't thought about this before. Sure. Uh, I'm going to talk about Natalie, and I actually will be able to uh, share with you a link to watching her work. She was one of our staff people, a therapist, uh, using DIR floor time uh, while she was studying for her doctorate. And she was with us for several years, kind of a bit stuck. And in her uh, growth in this model around the issue of anxiety, her own anxiety, just kind of like what you were just mentioning about, um, am I doing it right? And therefore that not allowing her to really deeply relax with her clients and have a wonderful time with them and become more, more of her creative, spontaneous self that the model is based on play and positive interaction and warmth and shared joy. And so if she was anxious, it wasn't quite working as well as it could, although she was the family she worked with loved her and appreciated her and the kids were very strongly attached to her still there was more to do more to grow and um, but she she in taking this approach she came to an aha moment um, and I have her permission to share and to share the video of her working after this where she realized using a kind of a self-reflection self-reflective process that we use in the model, where you're always asking, what am I learning about myself? Every single 
session, we have our, our specialists write what they learned about the child and what they learned about themselves and share that with their supportive supervisor and supervision group. Well, she realized that she was had a historical experience um, that was very relevant and was live for her and was being overlaid upon her work experience at Greenhouse Therapy Center with her clients, which was her graduate program was very critical and judgmental and very, um, yeah, not strengths-based, not a safety-promoting environment for self-reflection, inquiry, and inquisitiveness, and therefore room to grow. And she realized she was overlaying that upon her work environment and thinking of it that way, that she had to be worried about what she did or said and um, if she made the right move with the client. You spend many hours together. You couldn't possibly always know exactly what to do, but she was worried and nervous about that. And when she realized that she was doing that and why she was doing it, she really relaxed into the work and became much more natural and um, winsome. And you, you can see that on the video that I can link you to. Uh, she's just delightful. There's a point at which I actually had to, to edit the video because she laughed so uproariously at one point together with the team that it was going to hurt the viewer's ears. So I had to <laughs> lower the volume right there. But, that's the, but the whole video, she's just um, joyfully involved and what they're doing, which is so interesting, is they're working on this issue with the teen about self-awareness and self-reflection. So she's asking this wonderful client, her teen client, a lot of questions about herself as, as, a, as a growing person and why she thinks she is the way she is. And they've done it together a lot. So this teen has pretty good insight uh, at this point, even though she has a diagnosis and she's had to you know, have a lot of extra support. She's gotten to that place that we all want to get to with the kids in, in floor time where they're really thinking about themselves and why they are the way they are and understanding other people and other people's reactions. So great um, empathic connection, perspective taking, and um, also that theory of mind that they, you can watch them working on together. Mm-hmm. And actually you brought up the point that I was going to get to right before we got into this mm -hmm. that you had mentioned to me um, in advance of our, our talk here was the whole curiosity versus judgment piece. Yes. So, um, you know, it in this strategy, we're engaging ourselves in that inquisitive, curious way we want to approach the child, mm -hmm. which uses a different part of ourselves to respond. So... Being judgmental is one thing, but being thinking of it more in terms of curiosity, we're using a different part of ourselves to respond. And you pointed out to me that, um, you know, if, if we're being more directive in trying to teach the child a lesson or things like that, um, mm -hmm. that <clears throat> that's not where we want to be. Similarly to ourselves, it's just as harmful to want to teach a lesson to ourselves. So... You, you had said that if we're trying to teach our child a lesson, we temporarily forget what it feels like to be them. And similarly, if we're trying to teach ourselves a lesson, then we're sort of forgetting what, it likes, what it's like to just feel and be in the moment. 
Right. And that's a different part of the brain. And that's what um, we're talking about. In, in um, You just had mentioned to me more of a gray area thinking that we want to get our, our kids to is so essential versus the black and white thinking. And so um, that's capacity eight. It comes just before capacity nine, the ability to self-reflect. But there, it, again, how we relate to ourselves in a sort of a gray area thinking, like, like you mentioned the word gradual, am I coming along? Am I getting little by little better and better at attuning versus am I good at this or bad at this, which is black and white thinking. Only if we cross that barrier, we cross it in more and more and more contexts in our life and under greater situations of challenge and stress, if we can adopt that gray area thinking, only then can we be really good at helping usher our, our clients or our children into capacity eight gray area thinking. And just to, so spe- just to specify, um, Dr. Davis is referring to the functional, emotional, developmental capacities in the DIR model, which we've talked about a lot on the blog at Affect Autism. And so the functional, emotional developmental capacity nine and mostly we're focusing on the first six on the website but level nine is the self-reflection piece and you're talking about the eighth capacity which is the gray area thinking exactly and and it's uh you can also understand this so it's a sequential developmental model that we want to help everybody get through parents therapists and our and the kids we work with. And this issue that you mentioned about being curious and inquisitive versus judgmental is really gray area thinking. And it really involves much more of our right brain if we're looking in and wondering about why did my child do this or why did I do this? or um, what's really going on for my child, or what's really going on for me in this particular moment, that's more of an imaginative side of us than a, more of a, a, a purely left hemisphere processing of uh, rules and right and wrong and good versus bad. So we want to use our whole brain, and we want to use both hemispheres together. We want to encourage that in our children as well. Um, DIR floor time is really about supporting not um, the eradication of bad behaviors, but it's about supporting the neurological interconnectivity of our of our kids' brains. So this this is a way of explaining some of that. And that's a good way to say it because I think parents come in with these ideas about eliminating these difficult behaviors that we face every day. My child's hitting me, my child's throwing stuff everywhere or knocking stuff off the shelves, my child's just talking in scripts. Um, and and it is more, I like how you said that. Do you remember what you said? I think you said it's more about the neurological interconnectivity we're promoting. You said it, you said it and that's right, and that's based in uh, the uh, new capacities to study the brain as it's actually working that we see that that's what's really needed in children with special needs is strengthening and building new interconnective 
neurons between areas of the brain, especially across the left-right hemisphere, uh, it, it, that integration will make the biggest difference. And of course, what you say is if, if we have kids, if we have clients who are having those problem behaviors, it's pretty upsetting, it's pretty distracting, and we can, we can over-focus at times on those because they're so worrisome. We worry about what's going to happen next year or what's going to happen if this sort of thing happens um, at, in a public place or around friends and my child gets rejected from a school program or from relationships. People don't like him or her as much if they behave these ways. We get very, very over-focused on them because they are worrisome. And if we can sit back and calm ourselves and take, again, a non-judgmental approach towards ourselves and a more inquisitive approach where we reflect, why, why am I so worried about this? What is making me very anxious about this? It helps, but especially then that gets us ready to come back to the child and say, well, what is really going on that's causing this? What is he or she not able to do that we have to help him or her be able to do to be able to manage the challenges in this situation? And that changes our feelings about the child. Mm -hmm. If we're focused on negative behaviors, we're angry, frustrated, resentful, alienated, and then we're supposed to enter into this fun floor time sharing of joy. doesn't work very well, does it? But if we take that step back and take a, a growth-oriented, inquisitive approach to ourselves and to the child and uh, start to wonder what's really going on here, what's the history, what's the um, individual differences... Uh, that might be at play here, what's the nature of the environmental context, um, then, then we're able to actually feel more connected to our child and those loving feelings we want to be able to feel all the time, um, even when they're, they're at their worst and they need us the most, when they need us mm -hmm. to co-regulate co with them, they need um, us to be feeling present and non-judgmental and connected and supportive and that's the only way to get there is to be more curious I so. like that I like focusing on curious um, because I think we are so worried about how others will judge us what are they going to think of us when mm -hmm. they see our child screaming and kicking or hitting us or and then that makes us more judgmental on ourselves and on our children because we're worried about how others will judge us and um I like I like what you mm -hmm. oh, I like what you pointed out about it changes everything because even um, Dr. Gordon Neufeld, who I talk about on the website a lot, says you just need to see with a different set of eyes. Mm -hmm. And once you understand, it's completely different. Mm -hmm. So once you're you're thinking, you know, I think somehow because of our upbringing and everything that happened with behaviorism in after World War II and everything now is behavioral, everybody thinks, oh, if I just tell my child not to do this and tell them it's wrong and tell them no or get them to stop doing that or teach them a lesson, suddenly they're just going to not do that behavior anymore and that just doesn't work. So instead, what you said was so perfect and elegant that we are thinking, what does the child need and, and how can we help them through this so that they won't need to do those kinds of behaviors? And it's a totally different process. 
It is. And it is. And this is why we distinguish DIR floor time as a developmental approach versus a behavioral approach, because we think that a problem behaviors are a clue. And in fact, that's one of the, the other strategies is, you know, using behavior as a clue. Um, but we, we think that if, if a child is supported in their fundamental capacities that you mentioned earlier, the functional, emotional, developmental capacities, then that begin, the new, wonderful, more important things start to happen with our children that make the behavior no longer necessary. Mm-hmm. So we, I mean, if we take in a behavioral approach with my staff member, Natalie, and said, well, you're, you're, you're sort of restricted in your creativity, and that's a problem, and so we're going to give you a consequence for that behavior, Every time we see that you didn't think of something new to play or you didn't really respond with your full emotional joy, we're going to actually dock your pay. That would be a behavioral <laughs> approach to working with her versus a developmental approach to working with our, our staff member, our therapist, where we were supporting her insight and supporting her in a strengths-based approach where we really celebrated all the great things she was doing and helped her get to a place of feeling safe, to wonder about where she would had some constrictions, as we call it, or um, limitations, and to her development as a floor time therapist. So that's a, that's a little example of the difference between a developmental approach versus a behavioral way of seeing. And I love that. Um, I think Dr. Gordon Newfeld, you you turned me on to him, and I think he's completely important and relevant as he talks about how to apply basic, fantastic insights from attachment theory mm-hmm. to everyday parenting and making it very clear and um, easy to understand the research and how it tells us the better ways to be growing as a parent. And not only that, but he's synthesizing all the latest neuroscience and brain research too, which is now supporting those old developmental theories from before World War too. And it's, it's very interesting how it's come about because the research is now disproving a lot of the behavioral assumptions, such as emotion as a nuisance variable. Um, but that's, that's good. That's really good. And, and it's helpful to understand, yeah, that he's, he's um, right, definitely aligned and very much in sync with Dr. Stanley Greenspan and mm-hmm. Dr. Serena Weider's work where they started in developmental psychology. And then they, um, Dr. Greenspan moved into the study of the, the, the brain and the mind and how it grows and develops, and it supported all the prior research. Now the new studies as well. And I think it's, it's you know, one of the hurdles that a lot of parents have is if I'm not giving some kind of consequence, I am condoning this behavior to continue. Mm-hmm. And I hear that over and over again. And it's really hard to explain to parents why that's actually not the case. <laughs> and, and when they say consequence, unfortunately, sometimes they mean a punishment. Because mm-hmm. we all wish that when we see something that's wrong, we could fix it, that we could quickly fix it, that we could quickly stop our child from ever having a moment where they, they're out of control, uh, they do something that's not a good choice. That they, um, and so we... we, we we have, we have a fantasy that if we could just come up with the perfect punishment, it would never happen again. Our child would be happier. We'd be happier. That doesn't really work when we think about ourselves. How many times do we fail at being the 
kind of are at being emotionally regulated? How, do, how many times do we disappoint ourselves and not make the very best parenting choice? It happens every single day, probably every hour for some of us. And yet we have a fantasy that we could get our children to never have those moments of not being at their best. And, and I don't think it, it doesn't mean that if our child is going through a phase of hitting other kids that we don't say, don't hit, that's not right. It's not that we ignore the behavior and don't say anything. It's just We actually want to be more effective at getting it to, to stop because we want our children to have wonderful relationships mm-hmm. with kids. But we, we actually just coming up with punishments brings up the fear, the fear centers in the brain to be activated, and that doesn't promote good learning. Mm-hmm. There's no way a child under stress of the amygdala and the fight-and-flight system and the adrenaline that's coursing through their, their system when they're upset and then when their parent kind of piggybacks onto that and makes more kinds of threatening looks or statements, it makes the whole problem worse versus first helping to regulate and co-regulate together to a place where the child could be ready, receptive for thinking about themselves and wondering, well, what just happened? And what's wrong with that? And what do we want to try to do about it next time? Those kinds of meaningful insight and reflection that could lead to actual change versus fear and threat and worry and stress being compiled by a punitive approach to misbehavior. And Dr. Neufeld translates that so nicely into lay speech for parents when he says, um, you know, a lot of the cause of behavior that we don't like is frustration. And by reacting like that, we're saying, here, I can see you're really frustrated. Let me make you more frustrated. (laughs) He said we would never want to do that, but that's exactly what we're doing. Or if some of our... um kids who may have a diagnosis, a lot of it is the stress of being asked to do things that they're not ready to do yet, that mm-hmm. they cannot face quite yet in terms of whether it's, you know, overload, sensory overload, or even social overload of expectations of people that they can see, people expecting things of them that they're not quite understanding if their theory of mind isn't very strong. So it can be stress that's causing some of this misbehavior. And so again, here, I can see your stress. Let me make you more stressed by talking about consequences and punishment. doesn't always uh, work for us, does it? But I, I think you're right. We don't, cont- we don't want to send any messages to our kids that we're just going to ignore and overlook and pretend it didn't happen. If they, if, they're, if they have a serious behavior going on, the consequence has... There have to be consequences. We want them to be effective consequences. Like, we need to take some time apart and think about what's going on and think about what, you know, what, how we're going to behave with, with our friends and what we're going to change here. What's going to be different when we go back to play again, either later or next time. And that's a good segue into our next uh, part of our talk you said that in floor time, we're always looking to grow. So we're looking to grow the child or teen. And as well, it's a family approach. So we want to grow as parents as well and or therapists. Mm -hmm. So I think at this time, I'm going to stop the recording and start a new recording. So we'll have a part two after a short break.
about looking at my experience with strategy A10. Okay, we're back with Dr. Andrea Davis of the Greenhouse Therapy Center in California, and we are discussing strategy A10, self-reflect. Take a reflective stance towards yourself in interactions from the book Floor Time Strategies to Promote Development in Children and Teens, a User's Guide to the DIR Model. So, um, I took a crack at this strategy, and I used the sample journal, which I've, I've put on the website as a worksheet that parents or therapists can use to, to um, have goals going into a floor time session. So what are your goals for the floor time stress session? And then reflecting on how it went, what strategies seemed to work best to support the goals, what did I learn about my child, and what were my goals for myself in the session? And then what did I learn about myself? And finally, any questions that we have um, to discuss going forward. So I was, again, thrilled that you would be willing to dive in and, and just try this. And you shared with me your your own re responses and reactions and your your filling out the form yourself after an actual play session with your son, and you even shared the video of the play, a part of the play session, and um, I just, I thought that was really brave, and, and also, uh, hopefully, a, a growth-promoting experience for you to do, to do that, to really focus on this strategy of self-reflection um, during and, and after, even after, as you reviewed in your mind your experiences in the play with him. Yes, um, it was interesting. Now, we've put a link on the blog to a blank worksheet that parents can use or therapists and a sample worksheet, which I filled out, about the video that you can also watch on the blog. Um, I know that, you know, where my son is in his development, and I know that... His engagement has improved a lot in the last year, so mm -hmm. I wanted to work at a higher capacity. I wanted to work at levels three and four, functional, emotional, developmental capacity. Three is the back and forth interaction, and four is more the social problem solving and mm -hmm. getting a larger number of circles of communication. So having this really continuous flow of back and forth interaction and... Um, so the other part of that is seeing my son initiate more of the interactions as opposed to just responding to me and generating his own ideas because he does have islands of capacity five and six as well, mm -hmm. but those earlier capacities need to be more robust. He still has a lot of sensory issues. So in this video, you'll see that he's climbing all over the place, moving up and down and around, and that's how he is 24-7. He needs to move. His body mm -hmm. is just one that needs constant input. Mm -hmm. So this activity, all of this isn't in the worksheet, but I thought I might as well elaborate on it. That mm -hmm. activity in itself supported the floor time session, giving that him the opportunity to move around helps him be more self-regulated, which is the first functional, emotional, developmental capacity. And if he's not self-regulated, we won't even get to engagement and interaction and social problem solving and on and on. 
Right, and that actually um, is is floor time, is using his individual differences to optimize the possibilities for interaction. In fact, the whole section, uh, intro section B of our, of our manual uh, talks about how do you use the child's individual differences, for, for example, his sensory profile, his motor profile, his visual spatial processing, to support his ability to interact with you. So you absolutely, it was a beautiful example of floor time in action where the, what um, Dr. Greenspan always talked about, pairing words with affect with action. Get, and that promotes that cross-brain neural integration, the growth of interconnectivity we talked about earlier. So he's, he's climbing and he's placing pillows and he's, he's burrowing under the tunnel but it's all very, very focused activity, focused around the interaction with you. And so it's a as, as opposed to what he might have done a couple of years ago, which is what you mean by he's doing all of that stuff, but it's focused in, in, in the interaction with me, as opposed to going off to the side of the room and crawling away and just being on his own in his own world, which, yes. yeah. Yes. You may need to pair old videos with, with this because people watching this will watch how, how joyfully engaged he is during this play with you and that his, his primary interest in the play is not climbing, is not crawling. It is sharing ideas with you, mm -hmm. so joint attention and sharing even affect with you. You can see that his, he's continually referencing your eyes and your face to make sure that you understand as hard as he's trying to get you to understand the ideas that he has, not just for the play, but it's bringing up memories for him from school, from friends, from other times you've played together, from his favorite stories, and he's weaving them in, but he's not doing it to entertain himself. You can see because he keeps visually referencing your face and your eyes, do you understand me, which is a fundamental core social capacity that you can't teach in a social skills class. You cannot teach your son or any other person that you, uh, you know, lesson number six, you need to care whether the other person understands you or not. That's a purely affective experience that comes from the building of this attuned relationship you've done through the use of positive, positive affect, positive emotion through play that was tailored to his passions and, and interests. And now look what you've got. You've got a, a video clip of people will be saying, oh, well, you're talking about autism, but this child is making beautiful eye contact. He's sustaining these interactions with you. He's thinking about whether you understand him. He's correcting himself to make sure you understand him. And he's taking pleasure and joy when you understand him. That th th They're going to say, well, he was misdiagnosed. So versus saying you've used floor time and it's helped him to grow. A couple of things here. I have to say, like Mike Myers in that skit from Saturday Night Live, I'm a little verklempt. Take a moment <laughs> to yourselves because I teared up when you were saying all of that. I mean, I to that. hear you saying all of that about my son who, you know, has, has gone through, you know, he went through this tremendously terrible brain inflammation experience and hospitalization and, you know, just wondering, is he ever going to heal? What's going to happen? And then having the diagnosis and, 
and the progress is so slow. It really is slow. You know, when this happened in September of 2011, we thought, oh, he'll be better by Christmas. <laughs> and here we are, you know, four and a half years later, and he's just moving beyond where he was before the brain inflammation. So it is a slow process. And to hear you say all of that really made me very emotional because um, it, he really wasn't doing that before. And I have to believe that it is the floor time that has helped him relate in the way that he's able to now. And I think you brought up a good point that I should go through the archives and find a video of him where he is more focused on the activity as opposed to the interaction and feedback from Mama mm -hmm. um, so that people can compare. Um, by the time this blog airs, that video hopefully will be posted right beside yeah. the other one. <laughs> that that would be great, and I can see why that would be very emotional to be to be hearing from somebody, you know, in another place, sort of what you've been working so much for, and managing your own feelings around the patience that it's taken. Um, sometimes I, I wanted to see. I was so surprised to see the video after I saw your self reflective journal. Um, the sample that you posted will post on the web website um, on the blog because I couldn't I mean I was just so impressed with what you you were building with him together in terms of the, the interaction and, and supporting his ideas and the pleasure that you you know were were sharing and then on the inside you were really doing some good work on you as a, as a mom and what are some of your challenges in these kinds of floor time sessions because they're challenging it's it's not an easy thing we would prefer someone else could just do it all <laughs> and um, some parents run away from the challenge and they they get busy or they they um, really focus on other aspects of their very very busy lives because it demands a lot from us to be the ones on the front line but then it's also so deeply gratifying to know it's all that time that you've spent. You know, maybe it wasn't always exciting and interesting to continue to always follow his lead and his passions because it wasn't something new and entertaining and, and, and stimulating for your own mind and brain. It was the same old thing sometimes, but look what you've gotten out of that. Yeah, I mean, and I have to say, going back to the whole curiosity versus judgment piece and... Um, you know, I always, always feel like we are terrible as a floor time family. We're not doing enough. Oh, no, we're not putting in six 20-minute sessions a day. He's not going to get better unless we are the perfect, perfect floor time family doing all of this exactly the way that the book says he should. And I feel that pressure so much. And I think it's it should be relieving for parents to hear that even the little bits that you do consistently, even mm -hmm. if it's not mm -hmm. ideal, the ideal amount really can help. Um, well, that's, that's right. And, and um, that's what our program developed to do is that we understood that parents can't do it all by themselves. So we, that's what I mean by floor-time therapist, somebody to come in the home and, and take the reins sometimes. And Greenspan talked about the need for that, that you need a team. You can't you can't put all this pressure on for brain development on yourself, given all the many competing demands on your time and energy 
you need support, you need a team. And that's what we do. We go in, you know, three, four times a week, up to two or three hours at a time, working with the family, but also filling in the gaps when they can't, when they're, maybe both parents are working, um, aren't getting home, and there's a grandparent, and the grandparent may not be um, as able to dive into this model or may not be as willing. So there needs to be, there needs to be a team. And like you said, every little bit that you do is promoting his brain development. Every little bit. And just to um, put it out there, the blog next time, which will, will be in two weeks, is going to be all about the DIR model and all the different pieces of it. Because focused a lot on floor time and the different functional emotional developmental capacities. And now we're talking, we've talked a bit more about emotions and that interaction, limit setting. Um, so next time we're going to be talking about the parts of the DIR model in the blog. Um, and uh, after that, we're going to talk uh, about de- uh, setting limits at the appropriate developmental level. So that's a sneak peek into upcoming blogs. But to continue with the worksheet, um, so the next part is what strategies seem to work best to support my goals in the floor time session with my son. And I felt that my son responded really well to my affect, facial expressions, and use of gestures. So um, just the way that I would respond to him with intonation in my voice, um, you know, widening my eyes, and oh, wow, Um and certainly following his lead, so he wants to make a tunnel. He doesn't like that avalanche when I start to knock the pillows over, so I'm following his lead by saying, oh, no, no, we don't want an avalanche. Mm-hmm. Um, and also trying to make sure I respond to every, every initiation that my son makes. So, um, of course, when you go back and watch the video, I may notice that, oh, I missed that initiation that he made. Now, some of the things that he said I did sort of glide over on purpose for the purpose of this blog because he did start to script about certain experiences that we had, and he's getting way off track. He started talking about model trains that we've seen and different things like that. But when I'm talking about uh, responding to every initiation that he makes, I'm thinking more of if he says something like, Uh, He has an idea to put the pillow up here, and I just ignore him and do something else. Um, We want to respond to every initiation he made. He made an initiation to say to me, put the pillow on tops, so I want to follow through. Similarly, he said, Mama, go over there. And I said, oh, go on that side. And he said, on the other side. And so I made sure I followed through and went to the other side. Is is that a correct understanding that I have <laughs> absolutely and what it's making me think of is that what we use from our manual is a, a the menu of strategies uh, that in order to be able to put into words what we did with we always say what what was I trying to do and what what strategies did I use and so you just mentioned a number of them uh, a2 is be responsive always respond to all communication and that's that's the title of the strategy, and then there's all the reasons why and how mm-hmm. to do that. Um, you also used his natural interests, A5. You used, you talked about his profile. That's that um, 
core methods B, understanding and addressing individual differences. You used, used our strategy B1, identifying and understanding your child's profile. You mentioned he needs to move all the time, and that supports his ability to initiate ideas with you and to stay connected and have richer problem-solving continuous flow of interaction. It goes beyond just opening a circle and closing a circle, but a, a whole rolling cycle of circles together that, that represents social interaction at a deeper level. Um, you also um, hit a key one, which is being the sportscaster. When we're talking about supporting capacity three, we have uh, strategy 3.4, sportscaster or narrator. Be the sportscaster, be the narrator, so that the child hears that you're you're really following them, and also they hear what they're doing. As you describe it, it gets clearer. They, they get clearer to themselves, but they are, they're certain that you're really attuning and attending to what they're doing, and they feel supported to keep going, to broaden and strengthen their initiation of ideas. Um, you also used 3.3, um, wait long enough. So that you didn't take over subtly and gradually start to indicate to him that you're the idea generator by by filling in ideas. You waited long enough for his responses so that he had a chance to organize his oral motor processing and his, um, in other words, his language and his ideation so that he could be the one to direct the play. And it was purely joyful for him. It was fascinating for him. So he did, You your goal in part was to have him stay and stick with one activity for 20 minutes and you absolutely achieved that because you waited long enough for him to be that initiator. Um, and, and just to remind people, Dr. Davis is talking about the strategies from her book, Floor Time Strategies to Promote Development in Children and Teens, a user's guide to the DIR model, which we link to on the blog. And you can order from her website, or from Amazon and other places. Yeah, there's just so many that, that it's and it's nice to be able to, to put them into words so you understand, oh I was doing a lot of I was doing a lot. Now I, I have to say realize. I have to say I didn't realize I was doing all of that. <laughs> it's sort of um it it's I think this is another thing that well maybe we'll talk about it when once we're finished um, going over the worksheet, but you know, some some things come naturally to parents and other things don't. So certain things in this book, certain strategies are just the way I naturally am with children, but certain other strategies I struggle with, and I would really have to consciously focus on that. And my husband is different, so some of the strategies that come naturally to me are very difficult for him, but he excels in these other strategies that are really hard for me, which works out well for us because we're sort of a, a team in that sense. But um, maybe after we go over this worksheet, we can talk a little bit about how to help parents um, um, not feel overwhelmed by, oh, where, was I doing all these strategies? Like you mentioned your, your therapist uh, example, you said she's concerned and thinking about what she's doing as opposed to being in the moment. But um, I guess this strategy itself helps with that self-reflecting. So what did I learn about my child? I, I learned, I think I've known this all along, but it really, watching that video really put it out in front of me that 
my child is really responsive to my reactions and he's very eager to include me in his play. Mm-hmm. He likes mama. He wants mama to be there. He wants mama to do this or that. <laughs> right. And he, he, um, he really was. And you learn you learned that by sort of this process of watching the video and thinking about yourself. So we, we, I talk about strategy A10 self-reflect is developing that video camera in your mind. So you're, you're, you don't, you may not have the, the actual video camera set up or your phone set up, but you're always rolling it, rolling tape in your mind because you're, you're in, you're present in the moment and you're watching yourself as well. And that's how you grow. That's how you get out of ruts and habits. Like you said, some are natural to you and some are not natural to you. This is how you grow in new ways by watching yourself either on video or after a while having a constantly rolling videotape of interaction that helps you become much more flexible in interaction with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I like that, having that inner video rolling in your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess the next part, it goes even further into self-reflection where we look at ourselves. So what were my goals for myself in this session so I wanted to be able to stay in, into the, in the interaction the whole time. Um, sometimes it's hard for me to stay focused for a full 20-minute session. So that, that was my primary goal was, you know, I, I got to be in that interaction the whole time. And secondly, to not direct my son's play, but instead foster him to initiate the interactions and ideas himself. Because when I look back at videos of my son before his brain inflammation and before autism was in our lives, I was really surprised. And I was looking back to see if there were clues in his development about autism before we ever thought he was at risk. Um, But what I was surprised is how much I directed everything. Mm -hmm. So I was a natural teacher Oh, look, this does this. Look at this. This does this. Oh, do this and then this will happen. Oh, look, I'm going to teach you this. And so that is a natural tendency of mine to direct and tell him what to do. So in this video, I had that in the back of my head, like, don't direct what he's doing. And and I did do it a few times. I did direct him. Um, but, you know, hopefully less so than I used to and and giving him the chance more to initiate the interactions. Yeah. Should we take a break and then come back and talk about what a little bit more about what you learned about yourself? Sure. So we'll be back for the final and part three of our interview with Dr. Andrea Davis right after this. All right, we're back with part three and the final part of our interview with Dr. Andrea Davis of the Greenhouse Therapy Center in California about strategy A10, self-reflection in the book Floor Time Strategies to Promote Development in Children and Teens, a User's Guide to the DIR Model. So we've been discussing my own um, practice. I did the worksheet in the uh, book, Strategy A10, Take a Reflective Stance Towards Yourself in Interactions. And I feel a sneeze coming on. But um, we're at the part of the worksheet, which you can link to on the blog, which um, was, what did I learn about myself? So shall we jump into this? Yes, um, you were just in the last portion um, really thinking about your goals for this session, and I wanted to respond also to one of them where you said 
you realized early on in, in becoming a floor time parent that your natural tendency was to lead almost all the interactions by being a teacher and helping him think about this or that, and that um, you watched yourself um, both in the moment of playing with him and trying not to lead every interaction, but trying to make space for him to be the thinker and him to be the initiator. And I thought you did an amazing job at that. I felt like you were supporting him, supporting his ideation, supporting his initiation, also supporting his um, understanding by just clarifying things that he was saying, by narrating what he was saying and doing so he could understand both what he himself was trying to do and that you understood what he was trying to do. So I actually thought it was both. 180 degrees in the opposite direction I didn't see you as leading and training and teaching him he had these ideas and you were finding them fascinating and fun as best you could even though it's maybe repetitive um, so that he could become the engineer of the fun and the engineer of the interaction which is so hard for some of our kids who are on the spectrum to do they get taught all day long and sometimes all evening long to follow others' instructions and to just comply, comply, comply when compliance is the only goal that anybody has as their top top concern, then this never gets developed. This ability to say, oh, what, this imaginative, what could be fun? What could we do next? What mm-hmm. would be a new new twist on what we just built together um, in, our, in our fun time together? And that's the, that's the core of having a friendship. We want our kids to have friends. We have to be a friend. Right. Well, that's that's great to hear. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, because, yeah, certainly I'm always feeling like, oh, I, I don't know if I'm doing floor time right. I don't know if, um, you know, you want to refrain from narrating everything. You don't want to just repeat everything he says back. You want to get in the interaction too. So um, good to hear that I was on the right track there. Um and I'm sure certainly room for improvement too, like all of us. Um, and that's where this next piece comes in, I guess, the what did I learn about myself? And here's where um, the psychologist in Dr. Davis will come out and <laughs> help me figure this stuff out. So um, I definitely learned how much my mind wanders off to my to-do list. So just like my son is a constant mover and shaker and he's constantly moving and he doesn't sit still and he's this and that, that's how I am. I never take a break. I'm doing the dishes and then I'm doing the laundry and then I'm doing my blog and then I'm checking this and then I'm going to email and then I'm running to the store to do groceries. And, and you know, my husband just shakes his head because he's the opposite. He's very relaxed and calm and he's like, do you ever sit still? Do you ever take a break? <laughs> Can you please come and give me a hug? <laughs> And, oh, I'm in the middle of doing this. I'm in the middle of doing this. So um, it's funny to see, you know, reflecting. Like I learned that I get very distracted. I'm thinking about everything that has to be done. And, oh, uh, oh, I forgot to put that laundry um, over there. I forgot to do this. Oh, I still have to get this or I still have to do this. Everything's going through my head the whole time. So... That's something I learned about myself. Um, do you want to talk about that, or should I mention the other one first? Let's talk about that. I think okay. that's so helpful um, to see to see you doing this, to see you thinking about yourself. And I think you're making the point of how DIR is a family adventure. And 
when you you automatically expanded from just not just thinking about yourself in a particular floor time session, but your your whole day, and not just this relationship with maybe a child with special needs in the family, but with your other relationships. Like here, with you mentioned your husband, it just naturally expands to who am I and and why am I the way I am, and how does it impact me in every relationship? We've had parents say, you know, floor time has helped me in my my relationships with all my children, or it helped me in in my work relationships, because it is about who we are and that growth oriented approach to. Oh, I'm realizing something every time I sit down and journal about this. So that is beautiful. I mean, that could that that could be the start of something different in the way you think about your time with your whole family. Mm-hmm. And and I have to say, I have never been a person to embrace journaling. <laughs> I see it as a nuisance. Like, oh, I got to sit down and fill out this form. I gotta sit here and think about this, like, uh. so um, I thank you too for for inspiring me to actually do this because it's not something I would naturally um, do either, um, and and to be honest, it really wasn't that hard. Like I, I thought it might be a thorn in my side to get through it, but it's really just like you said, not sitting there and being judgmental, but just being curious, like, oh. You know, what What did I want to do? Um, and not having to think that it has to be right and it has to be this formal something or other. Like, no, just just think in layman's terms. If you're just talking to somebody, what did you want to do in this session? And yeah. what seemed to work? And what did I want to do for myself? And what seemed to work? Yeah, and, and what did I learn? Mm-hmm. What, the things that we learn, this is how we actually have our therapist write session notes. Because... We want them to be thinking this way. Um, I believe, from my own experience of writing notes, you know, when you're charting about your work, um, it can be uh, busy work that takes a lot of your time and wastes a lot of your time, or it can be growth promoting. And so I, I firmly believe that we want this experience of sitting and thinking about a session to be growth promoting for staff. And um, I, I believe that what we discover is the hardest thing to hang on to in the future because it, we just got there. We just barely got to this new discovery, and it's the fastest thing to escape us. So that's the one I always want people to capture on paper and maybe have a chance to go back and peek at because you'll have these aha moments again and again. We have to learn things at a deeper and deeper level, the same the same thing mm-hmm. over and over about ourselves in new and new, newer contexts. So that's why I want to capture it on paper. What did I learn about myself? Great. Okay. And then the second thing, um, and you know, I think there's probably more, but um, I learned that I feel a little bit irritated when I have to spend time making a new tunnel or bridge. Uh, for my son, just for him to knock it down, and and he hasn't even finished knocking it down yet, and he's like, "Mama, make a new tunnel. Mama, make a new bridge." And so I feel um, I, I feel uh, irritated is too strong of a word because yeah. I just adore my son and I love being yeah. with him, but it's like, uh, okay, I'm gonna take you know however many 
seconds or minutes or whatever just for it all to be knocked down and then we're doing it again. And I think, let me guess, you're going to say something like, that's focusing more on the task. Mm-hmm. And instead, I can think, well, if I'm irritated by it, don't think about that. Think about the interaction with my son more. Yeah, I have a couple of thoughts about it because um, you have it as a question for me later. But um, just going back to what you learned about yourself, being being brave and honest with yourself to say, hey, this is not my favorite part of my day with my son. I enjoy other things that may be more stimulating, more surprising, less repetitive. And I feel maybe a little uh, discouraged when I have to repeat the same thing with him over and over. And I think a lot of parents do. Um, but um, one, of our, one of our staff psychologists says, if you're not a little bit bored when you're playing with a child, there's probably something going wrong there because they, they do need to repeat in order to learn and master things. It's the way that they play is, is searching for mastery. So, but he also wants to repeat the pleasure of that. And um, there may be ways to make it feel better, but I'm more interested in the self-reflection piece today, which is, of course, to say, so if you feel just a little discouraged maybe when it's time to re- just repeat and repeat with in this particular game, I would say to them the next step is in your journaling, why do I think that is? Why might that be? Hmm. Why might that be? What is it about myself, my history, this context, my past? It might make me a little prone to being discouraged to have to build it all up again every every couple minutes. Um, the first thing that pops in my head is that I'm a person who likes to finish projects and do lots of things. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I start something, I finish it, and I'm accomplished, and it's done, and I'm moving on to something else. Beautiful. So I don't know if that relates. I don't know if that relates to it. Or... You had to go into a different part of your brain that looked across history and that to understand yourself, like how did I feel in the moment and how did that relate to my whole history and my history of knowing myself and understanding myself, but you, you took it another level. And so that's increasing your mentalization. And parents' mentalization is crucial for their growth-promoting interactions in supporting a, a warm, secure attachment with their child. I, and I just got to watch you do that on Skype. It's, like, thrilling. Just, just so the listeners know... We did not discuss this in advance. We're doing this on the fly. Yeah. This is, you've never said this. You've never done that before. You've never been asked to take it one step further. But that's what we want to do with our kids all the time is go for more. At take it one step further. We want to challenge them just at the right level for, to take this, this game one step further or this idea one step further. Or in, in this case, self-reflection one step further. So I think you may... You, you, it was a beautiful to think, oh, I'm this kind of person. I like to get things done and accomplished and off of my list. Because you just told us in the first one, I have a to-do list in my mind. And it's, it's very important to me to get things done. And I, I have, you sound, you know, and I know you to be very ambitious. Not, not everybody's trying to do all the things that you try to do in a day. Um, so to have to repeat and repeat and repeat makes sense. What you just said, um, 
that you would like to get some things accomplished and finished and maybe off the list. Yeah, and I think about, um, you know, my husband is so good at building train tracks. So mm. we don't have one train track set up that just stays. Like mm. every day or week, there's some new huge elaborate setup of tracks. And I, I tell him he should have been an engineer because how did he come up with the ideas? Like he can visualize mm. these track configurations and it takes him, you know, a good number of minutes to set it up and you know when my son's tired or whatever foo all the tracks just get trashed (laughs) and you know I would not have the patience to do that all again and you know sometimes he doesn't either he's like oh no no more tracks today we'll do it tomorrow Eh," you know (laughs) um Mm -hmm. but yeah I mean it's you know (laughs) just from my background in psychology, we could go much, much, much deeper as to why I'm the way I am and all of that. But we will save that for this. But yeah, like, um, yeah, you know, like uh, having to go back and continue to do stuff that isn't accomplishing some goal, I guess, is not something I'm comfortable with for some reason. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so then I I think you, you started to hint at this, but if you thought of it, um, what would happen if you thought of the goal as uh, one of the strategies of sh- sharing pleasure? One of the core strategies of the goal here is not building the tunnel, but sharing pleasure. Mm. I like that a lot because you said something that really stood out for me that applies across situations with my son, which is he wants to repeat that experience of pleasure. So he's getting pleasure from the pillows collapsing down behind the between the couch and the window. You know, it's resting as a bridge. He's putting his weight on it, collapsing it down and saying, "Mama, do it again." And that process is so much fun for him when he's falling and collapsing and watching my reaction or or whatever it is that he's getting out of that. He wants to repeat that again. So of course, most parents if if you know things are working right we want to see our children happy mm-hmm. so that is a good reframing for me to think oh he's having so much fun let's do it again and again and again to he's having so much fun not with a tunnel or a bridge he's having so much fun in this relationship because yes. it's a responsive attuned moment for us and, and he wants to repeat that it's like when you want when you're thrilled with your romance and you want to kiss again and again and again because you're sharing pleasure together um because that's a moment that connects you Mm -hmm. I think of it like that and I I guess I should uh clarify what I just said because we don't want to keep doing it again and again and again and again because we do want to keep challenging my son to move on to new activities and add an element and that's what I tried to do when I tried to do the avalanche, like knocking mm-hmm. the pillows onto the couch. And he was like, no, right back to capacity one, right? Dysregulated. Mm-hmm. No, I don't want that. Um, so, you know, it's not that we're trying to do the same thing over and over again. I don't want to focus on that. But I want to focus on the fact that my son is getting a lot of pleasure out of this interaction, regardless yes. if I'm repeating something or not. We are sharing pleasure. Sharing pleasure, okay. <laughs> yes. He could get a lot of pleasure out of um, sitting him down with an iPad game. Yes. 
but we okay. are sharing. We are getting pleasure from seeing the other one enjoying the moment together. Yes, because it it's not as fun for him if we just say go downstairs and do your collapse game, and he's just sitting there by himself. He's not having as much fun. I I mean I know this because if you know I'm trailing behind putting stuff away. We just came in the house with from the car and putting stuff away. He's like, Mama, come do collapse game. Mama, come. And that's the core of floor time. Mm-hmm. Is having that, the shift from self, you know, uh, being self-absorbed to being um, relating, as Dr. Greenspan said, ideally re- relating 100% of the time. Yes. Wanting and desiring to be connected together and to share pleasure and to share thoughts to have joint attention and shared ideas. That's his desire now. He's motivated by that because of the floor time you've done with him. Even though you think you haven't done enough or you haven't done it right, it's not. It's, it's just that you, what you said at the very beginning, having new eyes, having a new way of thinking about your time together has completely changed what you can do for him. So, yeah, we could take it further in another context in, in just sitting down together not publicly but privately saying you know well why do you think that is that you tend to be a person who really wants to get a lot done and a lot you know on on your list and why your mind might wander to the to-do list why that's so important to you those kinds of things it can just go further and further and further each time we do this Hmm. and I think you um, covered the last part of the worksheet is questions for the therapeutic team so I was more thinking about, you know, helping my son move up the developmental ladder. Is there something I should do to influence how my son responds so abruptly with, Mama, make a new tunnel, after he knocks the pillows down. And I think you answered that. You you um, encouraged me to think more about sharing the pleasure with my son mm-hmm. as an experience, as opposed to, oh, I have to pick these pillows up again, and I just did it, and I have to do yeah. it again. Thinking There's more. another thought I had about it, too, is that we, we, we move, we always, one of the strategies from the manual is build upward. We start with the, uh, the foundational capacities and build upward. So as long as he's engaged and he's regulated, um, we can start to build on that reciprocity with him using more of uh, the... Uh, affect mirroring and narrating his affect. So he says, Mama, make a new tunnel. I would stop for a moment and try to share that excitement with him. Like I would show with my facial expression, the affect on my face, that I get it. that So he can feel felt. I would show that, oh, that is exciting. Even the thought of Mama making a new tunnel. So Mm -hmm. I would show that on my face the anticipatory excitement that he's feeling. I want to mirror his emotions so he can understand that we're sharing those emotions together. And I'd say, ooh, you want Mama to make a new tunnel and see if he can just, that's pushing him a little bit too. That's kind of stick with the idea of, yeah, and that's exciting. And I think you're excited. You can't wait for me to build a new tunnel and see if he can stay with that. And then start building it. But you could also, uh, one of the strategies for um, capacity, let me go back to um, my menu of strategies to see where we put this one. But um, using anticipation Mm -hmm. is number, gosh, can't find it right now. 
Um, I should know this one because Dr. Gil Tippy has spent a lot of time talking to us about this one, <laughs> building okay. up that anticipation with your child. Right. Yep. Building the anticipation um, with him so that... Um, oh, sorry. I'm looking for it too. <laughs> um, we use anticipation to... to Stretch out the interaction. Uh, 2.9. Thank you. The strategy 2.9. Use anticipation to increase the capacity for mutual attention on page 74. Yes. Yeah. There we go. So 2.3 was the share pleasure. 2.9 is use anticipation. So there you've got it in your hands, right, where he just can't wait. And his, his whole face and body are showing that. And you're showing that you understand it by mirroring it with him. Oh, we can't wait. And then you then do it with a, a lot of drama and a lot, maybe a st stretch it out, slow it down. So he's kind of following every move and together you're stretching out the capacity to share the experience of it to the, his, the mutual attention to, Oh, so you want me to build one? Should I build another? Here comes another. And he's just watching and hopefully this is increasing his excitement and you're sharing the excitement together. So that's a way of co-regulating upward. We often talk about okay, yep. down-regulating our kids when they're too excited, too upset, too aroused. But this is a way of co-regulating upward by sharing anticipation together. And then I think I would really start to uh, challenge you to think more about the strategies in capacity for because you said your goal for him, perfect goal, was to stretch out and have much more interactive social problem-solving with him. So... Um, I call capacity for complex communication, mm -hmm. using gestures and words to solve problems together. So stretching out those interactions, um, certainly still not judging any of his attempts to communicate, but feigning them a little bit more ignorance now that you've got it, now that he's fully interested, he's got high communicative intent and attention. Now, you, now at this point only do you want to start maybe making a little bit of blocking moves, feigning ignorance, like you don't know what he means by building back up again, or playfully obstructing him, kind of introducing a problem that together you guys have to solve in the building of the tunnel. I don't, you may lose him for a moment. He may get frustrated and kind of self-absorbed again for a moment, but you, you keep little by little every day, um, just titrating in just a little bit of challenge here at Capacity 4. Yeah, you know, I've heard that so many times from the therapists that we work with. So it's a good reminder because um, I don't do that enough, you're right. <laughs> and Dr. Tippy told us that, you know, two years ago or something. And, and we do certainly do it. But, um, yeah, I could be doing it more. And... The other thing you mentioned, stretching out and slowing down the interactions, that was the title of a blog a few blogs ago. So <laughs> I can put a link to that on, on the site as well. Um, so, yeah, that's great. That's great. Thank you. Um, so I think, I think we've, uh, you know, we've stretched the limits of our listeners' listening capacity. So we'll wrap it up now. Um, check out the blog on the website for the links to everything we've been discussing. And thank you so much, Dr. Davis, for joining us again. And we will look forward to going over um, another strategy in the future for sure.
All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.